Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. Several years ago, our extended family took a trip to Yellowstone National Park. We saw all the things. Old Faithful, Grand Prismatic Springs, we went whitewater rafting, we hiked. A guide came early one morning and took us out to see buffalo and wolves and bears. When we were out with him scouting these beasts, he told us that while he loved and deeply respected all these animals. He was really enamored with the crows. Crows, he told us, are exceedingly smart, working puzzles at the same level as six and seven-year-old children. She you know that's smart. And crows not only have powerful memories, but they also seem to be able to pass down their learned lessons. As an experiment, crows, it seems, were either tormented or treated neutrally by people wearing different masks. And not only did the crows involved in the experiment remember, but years later, their offspring and other crows and their shared social circles would react negatively to those same tormentor masks. In finding the mother tree, Discovering the wisdom of the forest, Suzanne Simard teaches her readers that trees learn and have memories, too. Forests, she says, are not places with lots of individual trees, but communities sharing resources and sending messages to each other through a network of roots and fungus. Trees communicate warnings and share nutrients with young saplings and with ailing trees. They're in relationship with each other, cooperating, not competing. Elephants cooperate with each other, too, and they grieve. Elephants are recorded tending to their dead and gathering around a deceased member to trumpet together. Sandhill cranes mate monogamously for life, from dancing at courtship to co-parenting they stick together for their relatively long 20-year lifespans. An octopus might be one of the most mischievous and curious creatures we've met, and some say they have a consciousness. Dolphins have individual names that they call each other. Whales play and perhaps sometimes breach, leaping from the surface and crashing back down just because they can. And wouldn't you? If you could, you probably didn't come to church today for a verbal nature documentary, though. (laughs) Here's the thing. All of these recent discoveries about the inner lives of animals and even of plants only hint at what we were told almost 3,000 years ago. These new scientific discoveries, courtesy of underwater cameras and fine-tuned microscopes and patient field experiments are simply confirmation of a much 
older understanding of the wisdom of the world. The Lord created me, wisdom speaks, at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of long ago, before the depths of the sea, before the heights of the mountains, before the fields and the skies and the waters. I was there, she says. I was beside him like a master worker. Wisdom, the poem suggests, was woven into the creation, and wisdom was the weaver. Wisdom and understanding are entwined with the ways of the world, so perhaps then, at least one of our faithful tasks might be to look for the telltale mark of that master worker, the way you recognize the style of an architect or of a designer. One of our disciplines is to listen to the world, the way we listen for the familiar riff of a musician or the pattern and voice of a poet. When we seek, we will find this signature wisdom by paying attention to the world around us. As a more modern poet, Mary Oliver tells us, our instructions for living a life are to pay attention, be astonished, and tell about it. This looking and listening might mean doing what we did actually in a more recent vacation, learning about the egg-laying patterns of sea turtles and how their hatchlings come out and immediately scramble from the sand to the sea. But it seems also to send us out to stand at the crossroads of the city and listen to the hustle and bustle of the human world. Wisdom is crying out from the corner of Second and Adams where we can hear both the voice of the river and the voices of the people streaming in and out from 201 Poplar. Believing that wisdom is intrinsic, that it has always been and will always be, that it is present in everything and every place, means that we can be guided into all truth by all that we encounter. From the simple meal of bread and wine here at this table to the banquet of experiences every day of our lives. And we need not think that this learning of wisdom will be a staid and serious experience. No, I was daily God's delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in the inhabited world and delighting in the human race. Taking in the world's wisdom means absorbing its delight, its delightfulness. Another poet, Ross Gay, reminds us in his collection of a year's worth of noticed delights that it didn't take me long to learn that the discipline or practice of noticing and recording delight occasioned a kind of delight radar. Or maybe it was more like the development of a delight muscle. Something that implies that the more you study delight, the more delight there is to study. He goes on, I felt my life to be more full of delight, not without sorrow or fear or pain or loss, but more full of delight. I also learned, he says, this year that my delight grows much like love and joy when I share it. 
God's wisdom is foundational to the world we live in, all of it. The world God made is full of delight. It is a profound delight and joy when we study it, and it grows when we share it, passing it along in our social circles and to our children like those crows, leaping from our gravity-bound world like a humpback whale just because we can. God's wisdom cries out from everywhere, from busy intersections, from heights and depths of the world, even from our own bodies. There is wisdom in a child's growing body, learning the balance on a bicycle, and in the hard-won wisdom of our aging bodies, known to predict rainstorms, even in their aching. There is insight and understanding that comes from the neural networks and their diversity, and even more from the heart that has been broken and healed. Rejoicing in the inhabited world, in the worlds that we inhabit, our kitchens, our parklands, our bodies, this too is a faithful task and a discipline, but one that we can take on with joy. Who knows, after all, where you will hear the Spirit calling to you? A roadside gas station, your dining room table, the voice of intuition in your mind. Who knows what it will reveal? It's mysterious nature, showing off the handiwork of the master craftsman. Who knows how you will become wise to the world and how you will share that knowledge with those around you. One more poet, Jack Gilbert, cajoles us. We must risk delight. We must have the stubbornness to accept our gladness in the ruthless furnace of this world to make injustice, the only measure of our attention is to praise the devil. As the, matter, as the modern and ancient poets note, wisdom does not negate the presence of sorrow or fear, yet delightful wisdom calls to us too, just as persistently. God's wisdom is embedded deep in all of creation, woven right through it. And that insight and wonder is a cause for God's joy and delight. And so may God's wisdom also be our cause for joy and delight as well. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.